John 15, verse 16. We're going to be in the same text again. Uh, Before I read it again, let's bow our heads and pray. Holy Father, please meet us here in this moment, in this space this morning. God, open wide our hearts and minds to receive your word. God, give us humility and soft hearts to be molded and changed by your word that we might be like your son, Jesus Christ, in this world. Thank you for loving us, choosing us, and setting us apart that we may bear fruit. Lord, help us bear fruit, fruit that lasts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. John 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide or that your fruit should last. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he might give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you're of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they'll also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll also keep yours. But all these things they'll do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I first read this text, the words I hear are Jesus' departing words to his disciples, his last teaching for them the night before his crucifixion. And he says, I have chosen you and appointed you that you will go bear fruit and that your fruit will abide, that your fruit will last. And I see this as a beautiful blessing onto the disciples. I think sometimes we can read it as just a command or something that um, almost sounds kind of scary, but I think it's a blessing. Jesus said earlier in the chapter, Jesus says that I am the true vine, you are my branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I think he's blessing them, saying, I have chosen you and appointed you, and you will bear fruit. That he believes in them, he empowers them, and he chooses them to be the branches, to be the vessels that bear his fruit. I want to share a story, though. One day in early fall, probably a couple weeks from now, in 1985, a young woman who came from a broken home with no knowledge or belief in God whatsoever, stepped onto campus at York University in the city of Toronto. And she'd been anxious to get away from home. She went to school 17 hours away from where she grew up. And after she graduated high school, before she started university, she didn't know what to do. And so she she spent a year with a a program that travels across the country, uh, serving different communities. And 
She spent a year with that program and then decided, I'm going to start at York University. Goes to college, 17 hours from home, really because she wanted to start fresh. She was looking to kind of have, have a new purpose in life. She began university, and that first week, a church had been planted in Toronto. And some people from this church planting came on campus uh, at, at York University and started sharing their faith with the students. And my mom was one of those students. One of those students at York University. If you didn't know, that's who I'm talking about. <laughs> and um, somebody walked up to her and said, hey, are you willing to answer a few questions for a survey I'm asking people about their religious experiences on campus? And so they asked her, hey, you know, did you grow up religious? Do you believe in God? Have you ever read the Bible? And she's answering these questions. No, 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 I have not. I have not. I have not. And then they invite her to a, a Bible discussion in someone's home with food. And she says, I'm willing to go. You know, I, I, I don't know what I believe. And she goes and she starts studying the Bible shortly after. In the summer of 1987 or 88, similarly, a man from a broken home who was staying with his father in Toronto over the summer as he worked, a uh, guy who was a college hockey player and had just had knee surgery and his kind of everything that was going right for him was, was kind of crumbling. And he felt like his, his life was falling apart all around him. And he too had come from a broken home who believed in God but felt like he wasn't experiencing God and didn't know God personally. And he too was at his apartment, it was his dad's apartment one day, and, and someone knocks on the door of his dad's apartment. He's the only one home, so he answers the door. Lo and behold, it's someone who's just going out and inviting people to a Bible discussion. He says, I've been praying for a Christian friend to help me come back to God. And... He met that friend at a Bible discussion he attended later that week. That was my dad. When I think about people sharing their, their faith, bearing fruit that lasts, I think about my mother and father. And if it wasn't for these random people coming up and stopping them or interrupting them or making them answer the door to someone else's home, going out of their comfort zone, I would never be here. I also wouldn't know God. And I look at my parents' life and I say, that is fruit that has lasted but then I think about my parents and, and how they've spent years and years modeling and inviting me into a relationship with Jesus and doing the same thing for my siblings. And I think I'm only here today, I'm only here reading this passage with you because of their love for God and their knowledge of God and their desire to bear fruit that lasts and me being able to experience that fruit of their lives. And so for those of you who are with, uh, with us over this the last day and a half, in our campus leadership retreat. We began in the beginning of John 15 with abiding in Jesus, what it means to commune and have communion with Jesus day in and day out. And then we moved on to, well, what is formation into Jesus' likeness? The middle part of this text where Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. How do we do that? How do we order our lives in such a way that we obey Jesus out of a natural overflow of our abiding in Jesus? So we went from communion to formation and now, this morning, the title of the message is Mission. We're moving from communing with God, formation into God's likeness. Oh, that's crazy. Um, into mission with God. Sorry about that. Um, anyways, and as we think about formation into Christ's likeness, kind of transitioning into mission, 
there's a guy named Robert Mulholland who's kind of an expert in spiritual formation, and he defines formation like this. He says, uh, being formed into the likeness of Christ for the sake of others. And when we read earlier in this chapter about Jesus calling us to be formed into his likeness and to obey his commands and to love like he loved, it's always for the sake of others. Baby, could you go and check on that? Thank you so much. Uh, Mission, John 15, is setting the stage for God to send his disciples into the world for the sake of the world. That we may bear fruit of Jesus because we are the branches of Jesus. And when Jesus says here that we have been chosen and appointed for the mission of bearing fruit, it's interesting, the the Greek word that he uses for appointed, that I have appointed you, literally means I've set you apart. I've taken you from maybe common, common practices of the world around you, and I've set you apart for special practices, for special um, mission, for, for a special vessel. And it's the same word that Jesus uses in verse 13 earlier in this chapter, where he says, greater love has none other than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You might be saying, well, where do you say set apart? Where do you say appointed? Well, the word he uses for lay down his life is greater love has none other than this, that one set apart his life for his friends. And to Jesus, we're all friends, right? He says that earlier in the chapter as well. You're no longer servants, but I call you friends. And so the gospel and mission of Jesus in a sentence is set aside your life for your friends. That's what Jesus did for us. But here's the question this morning is what prevents us from participating in this mission? What prevents us from bearing that fruit, from setting apart our lives for our friends? Maybe a better question would be is when you hear something like this that we're talking about this morning, what makes you put your walls up? What makes you feel overwhelmed or uncomfortable with the idea of mission? You know, many of us are coming out of seasons of survival, just trying to get through the week or the semester or this time, this stage in our life. We just want to move to the next stage. We just want, for me, it's, I just want things to be easier. What struck me reading this passage this morning, not preparing for the sermon, only when we did dwelling in the word was, you know, a servant is not greater than his master. Why would I expect my discipleship to be so much different and easier than Jesus' discipleship? But that's what I expect in this season in my life. And I think many of us have been trying to pick up the pieces of our lives and the lives of our loved ones, our friends and our family. And we've been running on empty for a long time and we felt fruitless for a long time. And the idea of being fruitful again just seems out of reach for our imagination. We felt like we've been in a dry spell with no harvest. Where are things going? And I felt all those things. It's it's felt like a while since I've I've had a win in my life. Some of you guys can relate to that. Uh, It feels like I've been fighting through a season of survival. And it's difficult for me to imagine things being different. Things being more hopeful or more joyful or easier in the future. And even when I think about the times I share my faith and the rhythms I practice... About times where I've just been fruitless in my life recently. You know, I, I try to have a rhythm where every time I go to the gym or every time I go to the store and talk to someone, I share my faith. And I try to set that as a practice in my life. Uh, but just last Monday, I was playing basketball at the gym and I played pickup basketball with uh, a group of guys, and I was like by far the worst one on the court. Like half the guys were like 
they were dunking. Okay. I, I can't dunk if you didn't know. And, um, I was just, and I was like on the bad team. Like my, my team was pretty bad. I was the worst one out there. And I was just feeling discouraged. Right. And this is like my day off. I'm trying to like re- recuperate, you know, I'm trying to have a rejuvenated day. Right. And I'm just feeling discouraged. Right. And so, uh, we, we paused. I'd been there for a couple hours and they were going to keep playing, but I had to leave. And so I just left. And they started playing again, but I didn't want to interrupt their game. I didn't know any of them, you know, prior to this, this playing basketball with them. And I felt embarrassed and insecure. And so I didn't interrupt their game to share my faith with them, even though that's a practice that I try to engage in. And I think about that moment and what it was. I was insecure. I was uncomfortable. And I just, I wanted to go home. And so I didn't stop and share my faith. Can any of you ever relate to feeling insecure about Jesus choosing you or setting you apart to be a vessel for his mission? Do you ever feel insecure about that? Do you ever feel alone in that? I was at the gym by myself playing with guys who all knew each other and I didn't know any of them. Do you ever feel alone when you're kind of in the mission field? And this is a mission field, by the way. So is Maryland. So is uh, State College, right? Uh, Everywhere is a mission field. Do you ever feel alone in the mission field? Uh, do you ever think about the semester that you're about to start or the life stage that you're entering into uh, or, or the next few months ahead of you? And do you ever just kind of imagine that it's, it's just going to keep being fruitless in your future? Like, do you ever feel that way? Because I do. I want to share a story with you guys. As a child, uh, there was some mountains that were about 45 minutes from the house we grew up in. And every year... And about this time, uh, my, my mom would take me and the other, other kids, my siblings, and we'd drive out to these mountains because we knew this spot in the mountains where there was wild blackberry and raspberry bushes. And what happens with wild blackberry and raspberry bushes is they're free to pick, right? Um, but they're very thorny and you have to like wade through poison ivy and, and such to get there. And so it's very difficult. But every year we'd drive out there and some years we'd get there and barely any berries you know, uh, the, the birds would eat all the berries, you know, as soon as they got ripe. They're hard to get to, tons of thorns, and we barely, barely bring any home. Other years we'd go and we kind of get there at just the right time, and it's like easy. You know, we're picking hundreds of berries, no problem. We have ton that we, a ton that we bring home. Sometimes it's easy, sometimes it diffi- it's difficult. What I learned, though, year after year, was there was always berries. Year after year, there was always fruit. Sometimes it was a little, sometimes it was a lot. Sometimes it was easy, sometimes it was difficult. But there was always fruit on the branches. And I think we need to get back to experiencing that and believing that. that the, 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 uh, the fields are always ripe for harvest. But just as a servant is not greater than his master or her master, it's not going to be easy all the time. It's not going to be plentiful all the time. And some of you guys might say, well, this scripture says otherwise. Well, that's another talk. I'm just saying it's not always going to be easy. As we think about setting our lives aside for others, we get uncomfortable, we get overwhelmed, we get discouraged. I want to remind you that after every winter, there's always a spring. There's always going to be new life. And the fields or the mountains will always be ripe again. We might say to ourselves, I'm not worthy of that Look at all my sin. Look at what I've been up to the last few months. Or we might say, I'm not gifted in talking with strangers. I'm not a persuasive person. How can I really be useful for that? 
Or we might say, I'm just too busy. God has someone else in mind for that. It's not me right now. But I think it's at this point that Jesus reminds us and why he says it here in this passage, if the world hates you, it hated me first. The world hates me because of the words I spoke to them. This is just the day before Jesus' crucifixion that he says these words, the night of. And his disciples are about to witness the epitome of the world hating Jesus. They would watch him get arrested, beaten, accused, and tortured, and finally nailed and hung on a cross to die a brutal, gruesome death, naked and alone, ashamed in front of the crowds. Truly the world has hated Jesus first. And the question for us is why? Why has the world hated Jesus? Why has Jesus allowed the world to hate him so? And we must remember then that he did all this for us. That we might find our home in him. That our souls might truly find rest and peace and forgiveness with God. The place where we truly belong. Jesus set his life aside for our sake. We too are invited to set our lives aside for the sake of others. The world hated Jesus first. But in participating in that mission, in setting our lives aside for others, we experience no greater love than this. And Jesus says his joy will be made full and complete in us. And so I have three practices for us this morning of how do we engage in this mission? How do we bear fruit? How do we share our faith? How do we evangelize? The first practice is uh, cold contact. Some of you guys like, what is that? You guys ever heard of a uh, cold calling for salespeople? Back before, um, you know, we had the internet, it was just a phone book and salespeople would open the phone book and they would go through the list of numbers and they would dial a number and cold call random people and then ask them to buy their things, right? And uh, when we think about cold contact evangelism, I think about, and we're thinking about harvest and bearing fruit, etc. Cold contact evangelism is taking seeds and scattering them in a field and you're just waiting and hoping that something will spring up, right? It's not, uh, you're not spending all your time plowing this field and preparing it perfectly and fertilizing, etc. You're just scattering seeds mm-hmm. and hoping that, that something will pop up. And the thing is that something always does. I have a vegetable garden and I plant, you know, uh, things each year. But each year I have something that springs up from last year that I did not plant. And I don't even want it there. Like it just happens <laughs> to come up, right? Yeah. I did nothing to, to have that plant grow, but it grows. Yeah. Uh, cold contact evangelism is similar. I think this looks like sharing your faith on the street or in a grocery store or at a restaurant or in the gym or on campus. This is not uh, sharing your faith or your testimony with your friends or family. This is just introducing yourself to strangers and providing them an invitation to see if they want to come to church, if they want to have a Bible study, if they know about Jesus and want to have a conversation about him. That's practice number one. Biblical examples of this is Peter in Jerusalem in Acts 2 preaching a sermon in front of large crowds, or Paul in Athens in Acts 17, saying, God has determined the times and places so that people might perhaps seek him and reach out to him and find him, because he is close to all of you. The second practice of evangelism is what I would say warm contact. It's a little bit different, right? Warm contact, uh, I think an example uh, would be, as I was a kid, right, and I'd go to these mountains and go raspberry picking and blackberry picking every year, uh, there's a familiarity there for me. 
I've come there over and over again. And over time, we bear fruit or we gather fruit that's born by those, those bushes. I think warm contact is the idea of going to the same places over and over again where you already know certain people and where you get to know certain people. And, and the same people tend to be at these same places, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like Cameron and I have um, you know, gone and played basketball at uh, Depot Park many times. Inevitably, we run into similar people or the same people mm-hmm. uh, after a few times, right? And then when we share our faith with them, that's, there's already some connection there. It's not unknown territory. We're not scattering seeds randomly. It's, it's a place that we go again and again. For you, it might be basketball courts. Or it might be your classmates. You see them every week. They're not, they're not complete strangers to you anymore. Yeah. And it might be uh, the, the people who go to the same coffee shop as you at the same time each week. There's a coffee shop that I go to pretty much every Monday within a certain time frame. Inevitably, I have conversations with similar people there again and again, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for, for um, someone like Will, who plays magic at the same place week after week, that would be a place for him. Because he's already going to the same place. This would be warm contact. And so when you think about warm contact, we're providing invitations, but inevitably they invite deeper conversations. You spend more time with a person. You're asking them about their life, and you're sharing your life with them. You're sharing your testimony with them, because they're not strangers. I think a biblical example of this is in John 4, verses 28 through 30. Jesus has just spent time with this woman of, uh, this uh, Samaritan woman at the well, and they've had this long conversation. And what she does then is she goes back to her town and tells all the town folk of her experience with Jesus. Jesus is cold contact there. She is warm contact. These aren't strangers for her. These are people that she sees in the city market every day. These are people that she uh, know her life and she knows their life. But she's going and telling them about how she's been with Jesus, a man who's told her everything she's ever done. Practice number three is relational. I would say this is a step further than, than warm contact. Relational evangelism is like fruit trees that you plant. So like if you guys see, saw when you're driving in on the left, there are some trees that we've planted that we have little fences around. You guys see what I'm talking about? Those are fruit trees that we dug deep holes for, that I've put natural fertilizer on, that we, uh, that we mow the grass around and pick the weeds out of. We have the long view in mind. Those are trees that are now on their second year, only one's born fruit, and it was one little tiny peach <laughs> out of all those trees, right? We have the long view in mind. Those are going to be years before they're mature and where they're fruitful. That's relational evangelism, and you're investing time in relationships with people. These are the people that you invite into your home to have a meal over and over again. These are people who you've shared some type of life with and now you're not giving up on them. That you're going to meet them where they're at. You're going to be that friend for them when they're going through something, when they need to call somebody and talk through something, when they need assistance, you're there because you have a relationship with them. I think biblical examples of this are Matthew 9, uh, 9 through 13, where Jesus calls Matthew, the tax collector, to be his disciple You guys know where they eat dinner that night? Matthew's house. Jesus, again, was not relational evangelism there, but Matthew was, because you guys know who joins them for dinner. Other tax collectors and sinners, right? Who knew them? It wasn't Jesus. It wasn't wasn't, uh, Peter. It was Matthew. It was people that he had relationships with over long periods of time, and he invites them into his home. And so I think this looks like hospitality. 
This looks like meals together. This looks like life together. And I want to ask you guys, when you hear these examples, which ones do you feel most called to? And also when you hear these examples, which ones do you feel most challenged by? And I think the goal for all of us is not to be experts in all of them. I think the goal for all of us is to be competent in all of them, but confident in at least one of them. And I think here's the thing, when we abide in Jesus, when we see what he has done for us, when we have a story of life with him, we have a lived experience of joy and peace with God. And it's a lived experience that we want to tell about. It's a lived experience that we, that we don't keep to ourselves, but we want to share. Why? Because it's no longer us who live, but Christ who lives in us. And in case we're still scared, which we probably all are, Jesus promises us in verse 26 and 27 that he will send his Holy Spirit for us to guide us in the same mission. Jesus never calls us to go somewhere where he would not go and has not gone. But he also never calls us to go somewhere and be without him. We are not people's saviors and we won't ever be. But what we can be though is branches that extend shade, rest, and fruit to people. We're not the vine, we're just the branches. And what Jesus says is that we will bear witness, not by ourselves, but alongside the Holy Spirit. In verse 27, we know this from his words. He says, you will also bear witness. Why? Because the Spirit's already bearing witness about me. I'm not asking you to go somewhere alone or without me. I'm saying, go where the Holy Spirit's already going. Join him in participating in what he is doing. Because Jesus is sending the Holy Spirit ahead of us. We're just coming alongside him. And so let it be so among us in the New River Valley. May we join Jesus in what he is already up to. And may we be those whom he has chosen and set apart to love like him in this world. May we bear fruit and may that fruit last. Amen. Thank you guys so much.